And hopefully we won't be talking over the music. It's a lot harder to preach in church when everybody's in the back pews. So how about if some of you move up a little bit, because with the lights, we'll be able to see you if you move up, and without uh, moving up, we won't be able to see you. And it's nice to have a public conversation when you have the public here. So come on up. Even if you need to sneak out early, you can still sit up here. It's okay with us. We're running a little behind. Two of our four panelists are not in the same room that you and I are in. Well, here's Senator Campbell. Good for you. We're going to mic you up. So we are only missing Senator Menendez now. And, um, and then we will get started. So give us just a minute. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. And when is that train starting to run between San Antonio and Austin? Does anybody know? So while we, we are miking up, I'll dispense really quickly with a couple of the, uh, a couple of the uh, details. But um, I am Robert Rivard. I'm the founder and publisher of the Rivard Report, which is a nonprofit digital media site that focuses on San Antonio and the surrounding metro area. I'm joined by my editor, Beth Ferking, who is here today. Beth is here. And um, Monday is her first day of official work. She's just moved back to Texas from Washington. So we're especially glad to have her in the house. And I think Iris Dimmick, our managing editor, is in here too. So great. And my co-founder of the Rivard Report, my wife Monica, is here. And uh, Jenna Millette, who's our chief operating officer. So you can see I've stacked the deck with some locals. Um, This is the limits of annexation. How many people got to see Al Franken and Evan Smith when he was here? Hardly anybody, that's good, because this is not going to be anywhere near as amusing, but it's important. And uh, we do have a hashtag if you are tweeting, and it is uh, TribFest17. We hope you'll do that. And um, on behalf of the Texas Tribune, welcome, everyone. We're going to talk for about uh, 45 minutes, a little bit less than that, maybe. We have 15 minutes for Q&A, including a few questions that have come in uh, by email. So with that, we'll get started. Uh, I'd like to introduce first Senator Donna Campbell, um, Republican, San Antonio, represents District 25, which includes parts of San Antonio as well as Comal County. She serves as chair of the Senate Veterans Affairs and Border Security Committee, um, and she was the author first of Senate Bill 17 in the regular session, which then became Senate Bill um, 6 in the special session this summer. And that bill, which is now law signed by Governor Greg Abbott, requires an election or petition when cities seek to annex land outside their city limits. Senator Campbell, in case you don't know, also happens to be an emergency room physician who practices in several Central Texas facilities near her home in New Braunfels. Welcome, Senator Campbell. Thank you very much for being here. I am going to skip uh, Senator Jose Menendez, who I think will make a dramatic entry here any minute. Um, Representative Justin Rodriguez, a Democrat from San Antonio, represents House District 125. He sits on the House Appropriations, Pensions, and Texas Ports, Innovations, and Infrastructure Committees. And like Senator Menendez, he previously served on the San Antonio City Council. Uh, So both have seen the annexation issue from both sides, uh, the municipal as well as the state perspective. Uh, Representative Rodriguez is a practicing attorney. 
And next to, uh, in between, um, Senator Campbell and Representative Rodriguez is Representative Paul Workman, Republican Austin. He represents House District uh, 47 in Austin, which covers quite a bit of Travis County. He sits on the House Business and Industry and National Resources Committees. He served for 10 years in the U.S. Army Reserve, and he's the founder of Workman Construction Services in Austin, a commercial construction company that he founded but uh, has since sold. So he has a business perspective that I think he brings to the panel today. Um, welcome, everyone. Please give them all a warm welcome for devoting part of their Saturday, as you are, to civic engagement, which we greatly appreciate. So, Senator Campbell, let me start with you. Um, you represent a number, thousands, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say, of residents of uh, Bear County who do not want to be annexed. But you also represent the city of San Antonio and Bear County, where the governments um, vehemently opposed an anti-annexation bill. So it's been debated the last three or four regular sessions without any resolution, but this time we have a we finally have a bill that's come into law. Give us some background and tell us how the law changes the way home rule cities of a certain population size can annex territory outside their city limits as they seek to grow and why this issue was so important to you. The issue was important to me because any private property rights are important and I think that's a nonpartisan philosophy because anybody who owns private property, um, they have the right, they should have the right to make decisions on their own about their property. It, it came about, really, this session. I, annexation reform has been needed for the last few decades. Never actually came to fruition until this session. So then why, why now? What was so important about it now? The best example I can give you is in my district, San Antonio, a couple of years ago, had laid out a very egregious annexation plan to annex uh, many square miles of folks that had chosen to not be within the city limits of San Antonio. So I heard from them. And when it, you boil it all down, it's do they have the right to decide who's going to govern them? When they are annexed, or when you're annexed, against your will, so a forced annexation, all of a sudden, you take on the debt of the city that has just annexed you, fees, regulations, ordinances, all set up by people you never had the opportunity to vote for. So now you find yourself annexed within a city limits. The extraterritorial jurisdiction now expanding, and anybody sitting in that extraterritorial jurisdiction is a sitting duck for the next annexation plan, and so on and so on. So when that egregious plan had been laid out, just folks organized and came to me and others, even other senators, but came to us with the concern that it's time we have the we have the choice to decide who is going to govern us. Okay. Um, did you say Senator Menendez is here? Oh, I thought I heard. No, someone I say didn't. That. I, I don't know what. I think, I think he wanted us to filibuster. Here. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that falls to you, Representative yeah. Rodriguez, because uh, although funny. the debate was certainly more intense and in the public eye on the Senate side than the House, right. um, other things were going on on your side. You served 
in City Council mm -hmm. yeah. of San Antonio. So you bring a municipal perspective to it, and you're a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And uh, not incidentally, a lot of lawyers in the development community um, uh, are very curious as to how this is going to play out. So right. give me your view on why yeah. you opposed it and, and where you think sure. it's sure. going. You know, I, I think the perspective is, is unique. And each one of us, right, have, have a diverse background and experience that brings, that informs your perspective. Uh, mine, having been on city council for four years, um, you know, the way I look at it is annexation is a tool that cities use uh, for development, smart, sustainable development for your city, for your community. Um, and, and so, you know, in the four years I was there, we, we did not proceed with any annexation. But as you know, um, and, you know, those familiar with San Antonio, uh, the city aggressively annexed properties uh, probably during the 80s and 90s. Um, if you look back historically, um, 1980 or so, San Antonio was about 260 square miles. Today, we're over 500 square miles, right? So doubled in size just about. Um, but what, what I would say is this. I mean, even with respect to um, the, the, uh, what Senator Campbell termed as egregious uh, plan of the city of San Antonio, um, there was an update to the annexation uh, policies and procedures after I left council. I think it was 2012 or 2013. There was an indication um, that the city would look at various properties for potential annexation. But what I would also say with respect to that is there was a, uh, a dialogue that began at that time um, that wasn't you know, tantamount, tantamount to a taking, right? This was a conversation that the city of San Antonio had with those respective communities. Um, and, and, you know, I, I can't remember the exact number, but initially was a certain number of parcels. Um, I think as, as way of having those, that dialogue with those communities, it eventually kind of narrowed down to about, you know, less than a handful that they were going to look at for annexation, right? So, so, you know, from my perspective, you know, whether it's land use, it's zoning, in this case, annexation, um, I believe in local governments having some control and some input on how those communities grow, right? And, and I think um, my objections to the bill, you know, on the one hand were uh, taking that authority away, right? I mean, this dates back to 100 years of home rule, right? I mean, the city of San Antonio, much like other communities, uh, were given the authority by residents of Texas who said, you know, back in 1913, you can establish a charter and by that charter, you can govern how your community is, is uh, how it grows and how it makes decisions, right? So um, that, I think, I guess more philosophically was my issue with taking away, you know, a tool in the toolbox that can help with uh, development, environmental concerns, um, all of the things you think about when you uh, look at communities who are doing it right. Um, I think uh, having the ability to annex properties is a, uh, something that the city should have. Well, Representative Workman, I think Representative Rodriguez hit on something kind of profound, which is we are changing a century of the way home rule cities in, in Texas have governed themselves, have expanded and grown. That seems to be a pretty profound change in the way we do things, and yet I know annexation is like homework. It's not as sexy as other things. There was a lot more focus on the bathroom bill, but it seems like something really fundamental Come on in, Senator Menendez. We, what, matter of fact, why doesn't everybody say uh, welcome to Senator Menendez? Welcome, welcome. Hi, how are you? How are you? He didn't get the original welcome. And I'll catch you up. You may not know that 
<clears throat> you and, and uh, Senator Campbell differ on annexation, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll fill you in as we go along. And Justin did a good job. He said, we'll just filibuster. Well, it was filibustering until you got here. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. you have the floor, Representative Workman. Okay. Well, uh, although we are changing, you know, 100 years' worth of uh, home rule law, in 63 there were some modifications to it which uh, may try, attempted to make it a little more difficult for Florence annexation, but because of some abuses by some of the communities. And so that hasn't worked. And like Senator Campbell, I had a number of constituents come to me in various areas who wanted no part of the city of Austin, and uh, they were trying to make sure that, uh, that they had a voice in that. And, you know, you fundamentally, you have to ask the question, should you have a voice in whether or not you're uh, going to live in this community or that community. And, uh, and of course, we are changing a lot of, but there are only three states left that have forced annexation now. After we passed it, there's only three that are left. So it's not like this is some no, new and novel approach to annexation to, to give the citizens a right to vote on whether or not they want to be in a community, in a city or not. And in my case, I mean, one of our communities, which is under a strategic partnership agreement, I hope we'll get a chance to get into that a little more, I mean, their water rates went up by 200%, and their, in, their property taxes are going to go up by 40%. Just from what city is this, please? This, this is out of the city of Austin. It's one of the communities that is about to be annexed by the city of Austin. And then we have other cities that are uh, in the ETJ but not under a strategic partnership agreement, and they certainly didn't want to be a part of the city of Austin. So... We were interested in that from a local perspective, but philosophically, the notion that you can force someone to be in a city when they don't want to be doesn't seem to be very American to me. Okay. Senator Menendez, let's uh, play catch up. You filibustered uh, the Senate bill uh, that was carried by uh, Senator Campbell in the regular session. I think it was 715, and we, we had Senate Bill 6 in the special session. Why did you feel so strongly... Um, in opposition to that bill, and, and, and where do you stand today on the bill that became law? So the primary opposition that day dealt with, and, and that afternoon, um, myself, Senator Watson, and, and one other senator, I think it was Garcia, we went to visit with Senator uh, Campbell about the issue, and we said, hey, you know, particularly for me in San Antonio, uh, we really want a buffer zone for our military bases. We really want to, I'm so concerned that if we don't have the proper zoning and the other things that, that comes, primarily it's zoning, that the city can regulate land use around the military bases, I'm concerned that we're going to continue to see eradication of the, uh, the uh, right. golden cheek warbler's uh, habitat, uh, which moves more and more of those birds onto the base. And once they see them at Camp Bullis, that, that part of Camp Bullis is no longer usable. And it's going to get to the point where if it's not usable, many of the missions that we have at Fort Sam for medical training, training like they're out in the wartime conditions, won't be able to occur. And so that was my driving force. I mean, you know, the, the military uh, has a $51 billion impact on Bear County, County alone. And so uh, that was my number one issue. Uh, you know, as a former city councilman, my concern is that also I, I, I think that it's interesting, when I looked at the I-10 corridor, and you have going just outside 1604 on the north side or the right side of I-10, you have uh, the Dominion inside the city of San Antonio. But if you look just across the highway on the other side, 
uh, many of those neighborhoods are somehow not inside the city of San Antonio. Those are in the county. But those neighborhoods, in my opinion, would not have been built or developed uh, for it not for the city of San Antonio. Because, I mean, if it, I mean, the city jobs and, and the things that are going on, the airport and the parks and all the things that, that happen inside the city are the reason that they build these subdivisions right on the edge and then they advertise no city taxes. So it, it's, you know, you can look at the history behind annexation and it, and it very clearly states uh, for hundreds of years people have gone to the edges of the city so they can get the benefit of living near and near or close to the city without the city taxes. But the city... Every time they have to hire more police officers, firefighters, ambulance workers, and other things, uh, they require, they need to have the revenue. And so it's, it's the reason why this is a delicate balance. The state provides no funding whatsoever for cities. And so the cities have to either do it through property taxes or sales taxes. Those are the only two ways they, they fund basic city services. And so that's why the, the other opposition in the sense that um, there is a currently an annexation process. And when the Dominion was annexed, I mean, they negotiated for an overpass, they negotiated for substations, they negotiated for libraries. I was on city council when we annexed Stone Oak and we annexed, because I mean, it could have been easily city of Stone Oak, you know, city of the, you know, whatever. It could be like Dallas or St. Louis where we're surrounded by all these little enclaves and then you don't have resources to, to, to keep up the basic re, uh, necessities for the rest of the city. Well, before we talk about the uh, military aspect, we are military city USA in San Antonio. Let's talk about funding because this is something Bear County uh, Judge Nelson Wolf feels very strongly about too. That many states, as you said, um, Representative Workman, have moved away from forced annexation, but uh, um, he claims we're the only state that's moved away from it, and we're not funding. Uh, local government entities, be it the city or county entity, to help make up for that difference. And he feels, particularly at the county level, they just don't have the revenue to support the kind of in- increasingly dense populations that we're seeing all the way around the rim of the city limits that fall under the county jurisdiction. But I'll throw that out to you, the senator or you, of what do you say to local officials that bring that funding issue to you? Well, we heard from some counties who supported the annexation um, deal because I think they feel in some cases that the cities are encroaching on their uh, areas and, and taking away some of their ability to do uh, planning and, and for revenue. So I'm, I'm not sure about um, the, the funding aspect of it and whether or not the state ought to be in the business of, of providing money to uh, cities for firefighters and that kind of stuff. That's, that's what their local property taxes and sales taxes are for. Well, let me go back. Do you want to send Well, I think I would add a, a few things. I guess we'll talk about the military a little bit more and the Golden Cheek okay. Warbler. And, um, but it's not the government, with this forced annexation, it's like the government holding a, um, you know, a, the government telling the people, you have to work for us. And the government works for the people. And yet, with forced annexation, it's growing and expanding because the needs, the financial needs, increase. Well, at some point, you run out of land annex. It would be like California, who's a trillion dollars in debt, without going much into that, but should they... Should they annex a state to 
try to help. I mean, that sounds, you know, that's totally out of whack. My point is, at some point, you run out of land to annex to gain a tax base. And it would be, you know, is it, it's okay to annex for the city of San Antonio to annex a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then what do you do when you're at the margin and there is no more land to annex, but yet the needs are still there? Are, you, are they saying the needs are gone once they've annexed everything? Because I would say no. And at some point, there needs to have, you need to have an internal look at how you're spending, not going back out and asking for more money or broadening that. So when the judge says, no, the city needs this, that may be for it. city planners who've got everything laid out for the next 20 years and they need X amount of dollars. But... It's not, it's not for the city planners to put something out there, a development, and then say, go get it from folks who are not members of, or citizens of city of any city specifically. And, I mean, that's, I think I've, I've lost something else I was going to add to it. What about, what about Senator Menendez's point that people that buy into, for instance, a very upscale gated community like Alamo, Alamo Ranch right on the edge of Indian. northwest San Antonio where all the city services are just a, a, a vehicle right away. Is that naive of them to think that they can buy right on the border of that city limit without ever having to contribute directly as opposed to indirectly through sales taxes to the well, city, the, the city folks, budget? I think that's a good question. The folks who live outside the city of San Antonio but within the county, I mean, they pay emergency service district taxes. They pay hospital taxes. They pay school. They pay community colleges. They pay county taxes. They pay tax. They pay taxes at the pump for roads. They pay taxes in vehicle registration. They pay sales tax when they go into the city. Hundreds of thousands of dollars are spent in advertising telling people to come to our city, but yet they don't ask them for property tax. They're wanting people to come to the city, and that's because people that come into the city spend dollars in sales tax. And so do the people outside the city line. So I think it's a false narrative to say you're a freeloader and you're getting something that you should be paying more dollars for. They have emergency services that they do pay for that meet the needs of where they live. Okay, let's go back to the military. For several years, virtually every local government entity participated in the joint land use studies under the Alamo Area Council of Governments, uh, including all the military command at Lackland, the military command at Fort Sam Houston, um, uh, Randolph, and, uh, and Camp Bullis. So you mentioned the Golden Chief Warbler, but in fact there's a, there's a number of other larger areas. I would say Randolph right now, the encroaching area around there, is even a little bit more severe. And so as, as uh, General Pringle in the regular session and then General Roberson in the special section wrote letters to the governor, the lieutenant governor, the speaker. He probably wrote letters to all of you, for all I know. They, they sent those letters everywhere saying a five-mile buffer zone is essential for their continued military operations and the stability of the military economy here in San Antonio. And virtually every municipal entity um, in the Alamo area, Council of Governments, supported that. It was a multi-year plan. So the state is upending that, first with the regular session bill that reduced that to a quarter of a mile, and even now, development lawyers, other people at the city of San Antonio say they, they really have no idea over how are we going to govern um, issues that come 
to the forefront about development around these bases within those buffer zones. Who's the controlling entity? Where are we going to go from here? And how are we going to keep the military a, a, such a strong part of our economy? So let's let's go to that. And uh, Senator Menendez, do you want to start? Well, I think you make a, a perfect example of why it's it, it, we've unnecessarily muddied the water. Um, I think that the current law we had changed in, I think, well, annexation prior to this session in 90 or 91, Senator Madla made it more difficult for cities, had forced them into a three-year plan, um, and, and it gave, I think, uh, the folks who were being considered to be annexed uh, negotiations with the city. But going to the issue of the military, now that we don't know exactly how it's going to work, too many, many questions have arisen, and I think it's either going to go to the courts or going to, you know, we're going to revisit it uh, in 2019 at the next session in terms of where does where does control happen? If if let's say uh, there's an area that uh, votes not to be annexed, but it's inside that five mile buffer, then who decides what what rules apply? And you mentioned uh, Randolph. My understanding is that there's some residential development that's encroaching near uh, the landing strip. And uh, we had a lawsuit uh, when Kelly and Lackland were still running where they required a military overlay zone. They said we have to have an overlay zone that, that is a clearance area for if someone has to bail out prior to the, to the strip and, and past the strip. And I think that's the same situation that's going to occur at Randolph. And we have so many training missions out there that I think it would be uh, very short-sighted of ourselves uh, to not believe that, especially with – the current president's uh, budget proposal calling for another round of BRAC. Uh, anything we do to put ourselves at as a disadvantage, uh, in my opinion, is going to make us more susceptible for, for a potential BRAC uh, closing. And so I think it's, uh, it's, it's a short-sighted. I think it's something that we've taken for a, uh, maybe a short-term gain politically, but I think long-term we could put, end up paying a big price. Now, tell me, Senator Campbell, why that doesn't concern you, because you have said on occasion that you think there's mechanisms in place to deal with resolving these issues as they come up. But you, clearly, you're not particularly concerned about the stability of the bases going forward. Well, first of all, I think all the legislators know, and it's important to protect our bases, protect our military installations, um, appreciate our veterans, and any veterans here, we appreciate your service. We... In regard to the buffer zone around Camp Bullis specifically, um, we do have tools that are out there that weren't even used by City of San Antonio. So let me back into that a minute. First of all, we have tools for all the bases around the, the state for conservation easements, DAG dollars, and hold that thought, DAG dollars were used last session to buy the land at that crash zone at Randolph, to buy that land, do some swapping, so that we could protect that part of the runway. And that's an example of how DAG dollars are supposed to What kind to of dollars, please? They're called DAG. It's the Defense Economic Adjustment Assistance Grants that the governor, you know, we've got $20 million into that this time, and so the bases all put their proposal out there. San Antonio got some of that last time. They got some the time before. And, of course, you know, they're applying for it now. But anyway, there's DAG dollars. There is the um, dark skies ordinances. That's where counties, most well, certainly Bear County, has the, the jurisdiction to say, you know, let's 
take the lights, you know, darken the skies around Camp Bullis, for instance. Now, looking at dark skies and looking at city of San Antonio, and I'm, I'm, I'm skipping into a couple of topics, but if the brightest, if the training mission summit Camp Bullis is night jumping and they need dark skies. But if you look at a map, the light map around Camp Bullis, the brightest place around Camp Bullis is city of San Antonio. That area that's already within the borders. That's where the brightest light is. You know you've passed out. A jumper knows they passed by the city of San Antonio limit whenever the skies get dark, number one. Number two, there is, um, so the county has that. There's also a regional military sustainability commission that was set up in the 81st legislature before I got there. But that was special for San Antonio to have the county, the city, and the bases all work together to figure out land use within a two-mile perimeter of the base. They never set that up. But yet that's there. Didn't take a vote for annexation for that. And then, of course, there's a, um, a joint air use uh, zone that's set up for military around all the bases that have aviation. So those things are out there as tools in the toolbox. Annexation is a poor tool to say you're trying to use to protect a base. Golden cheek warbler. Let me skip to that real quick. Golden Cheek Warbler, first of all, is not um, unique to, to Texas. It's not one of our... Uh, um, it's an endangered species. It, yes, but it, what, it's not... This is, Texas is not its specific habitat. There's other places... Indigenous, thank you. I'll get on that. And there's a lot of places in central Texas which will house a Golden Cheek Warbler. But people do come first. And so setting aside the military, and we will protect our bases, but this bill now in the special session, I believe is a better bill. Because when you're asking for a five-mile buffer, you, you, you don't want to be asking that those people can't have the right to vote. So this bill says you still, the city still has to set up a plan to vote for annexation. And then if the vote fails, they still have the land use based on joint land use studies that's been there before. So they still work with the base, the city, they can work with the county, whatever it takes in that five miles now for land use. But the people still get to vote. I mean, we talked to veterans that said, we fought for the right to choose who governs us. We didn't fight so a city can come in and say they want to take our land for an increased tax base. So we're hearing different things and different people that come to your office, you know, they may present their story differently. That's where I am on the military. Well, I, and <clears throat> um, I think no matter how thoughtfully we say things, it, it is going to be the uh, actual tools that we leave for the cities to work together with the military to protect. I don't think the generals would have been in such strong opposition to the bill if they felt comfortable with the bill as the way it was written. But let's, let's hold that for a second. One of the things um, – my colleague, Senator Campbell, just mentioned said something about the people still get the right to vote. But my understanding is under your bill that it doesn't apply to all cities. If you're a city that's under 
500,000. 500,000. County. County. If you're in a county under 500,000, you can still annex. That's as, tier two, as I understand it. Current I'm law. I'm not a lawyer. And then the other concern is uh, that I had was that there were separate <clears throat> classes of voters. I think that you had to be at, in the original bill. I'm not sure it survived to the second bill. If you were, you got to vote if you were a land owner or a homeowner, but not if you were renting. And, and so that was in the first bill, the original bill. There right. was, Let's clarify that now and add to that, Senator Campbell. Can a property owner who's an absentee owner possibly have a vote? Because it seems to me if that were the case, you'd never get past the federal court on the Voting Rights Act. But tell us who votes or doesn't vote or how that unfolds. Right. They have to be registered. In Texas. In, yes, in the, in the county. They have to be registered. But owning property, it's not just those who may rent. And any, any city that's going to annex... I'm pretty sure that they would look and make sure they have at least the area they're going to annex, that 50% of those are property owners. But it's <laughs> registered voters. There aren't any registered voters that are alienated or kept from voting. If there's an area to be annexed in which there is not at least 50% property owners, <coughs> you know, then registered voters still vote. But by petition, they still have to get property owners' permission to be annexed. So, but there aren't any registered voters within the area to be annexed that would not have the right to vote. What if the property owners don't live in that county? Mm-hmm. What happens then? They have to be asked if they want to be annexed or not because it's a proper, it's still their property. Right, right. And it's by a petition, you know, so... They are petitioned, yes or no, if they want to have their property annexed. Because it's a, it's a private property right. I believe this applies only when there are less than 200 people in the area to be annexed. And so the idea is to protect <clears throat> the property owners in that area from, say, a subdivision that is uh, full of renters and the renters voting to um, annex, be annexed into the city without the property owners being able to have any voice in it, yet there's only a couple of hundred. Excuse me, I know this is out of line, but this is really not clear, and I hesitate to even go forward on the conversation. Petition, what, when I hear petition, I think that, that people are voters, registered voters, are petitioning to put a referendum and moving forward. And then, once again, you know, it would be the, the property They're not. They're not actually submitting a, a petition for a referendum. They're right. submitting a petition to the city, asking to be annexed. This is why some lawyers are telling me this is headed for the courts. Do you all agree on that, or do you yeah. disagree? It's it's a fifty. Well, it doesn't go. Yes, but I'm not sure that's a... I can't make that as... If... When petition, we're just saying, they go and they ask the city, the, whoever's going to do the annexing, ask the property owner. If they are not choosing an area that has where greater than 50% of those that are registered voters own property, they ask them, do you want to be annexed or not? And that's what I'm calling petition. 
based on acreage? Then? No. What's it based on? Numbers well, 50, I guess 50% of the, of the property would be the property that's owner. The the, the, yeah. The land that's owned. Yeah. Okay. Because that's property so general. 50% of, of, the, of the land that is owned, uh, people indicate yes, move forward, or no, move forward. If, if they say no, move forward, will there still be an refer- election? There's still a vote, but if they, if the property owners, the property owners have to say yes, that they do want to be annexed. Okay, well that's, you, that was kind of a double. Oh, I'm, okay. Well, I would just say we can't get too deep into the weeds yeah. on this. It's an important issue, I, I agree. What, what I, what I have I at least three development lawyers that have emailed me saying there's going to be lawsuits yeah, and filed. I, and I was going to say, I don't do land use, I'm, you know, uh, I'm a lawyer, but I don't do that kind of work. Um, and one of the reasons I ultimately voted against it, even with the military amendment that uh, Senator Menendez fought for and others, was of the ambiguity, right? When you, when you do something like this, where you're changing fundamentally uh, the law that's, uh, you know, well been litigated and it's precedent for over, over 100 years, right? Um, you know, you ought to be very deliberate um, with this kind of a process, right? Um, and, and folks in both sides, in the Senate and the House, they say, well, we need to study, for example, uh, public school finance more before we do anything. Um, this is one that, that should have been an interim, at least an interim study to measure the outcomes, potential outcomes, because I, I think it's very unclear, and I guarantee, um, I won't put my law license on it, but I will tell you, <laughs> the first uh, case that, that comes before um, you know, any city for uh, a petition for a, a referendum is going to be challenged, and it'll be, you know, drawn out. just litigated. Like, Yeah, it'll be litigated. I mean, th- because you're raising some good points. Well, the, the disappointment is that we've got two senators whose bill it is who have a hard time explaining it. It is not my bill. No. <laughs> this is not my... I was very much opposed to this bill. Well, let's look at some specific um, annexation deals that are on the table. Um, and, and I do want to talk about Travis County and well, not make all this San Antonio. Go ahead. If you uh, want can to I make a in. comment about Please. the military aspect? Sure. So, look... Um, uh, I love our military bases. I was an Army officer. I, I served in the military and all that. We need to keep those. But imagine yourself as a landowner up next to Camp Bullis. And maybe you've had that land in your family for a long time. If, if, the, if there's an, a way then that the city is going to control the development of that property, are they not taking that property? If it's for the public good then the government, whether it's the federal government or the county or the city, they need to purchase that, much like she was talking about. Isn't your state funded taking? There's case law. There's case law in what you just discussed. So case law, it happened in, in my district where uh, the city granted the military the overlay zone and the Van Duwally farm family sued the city mm-hmm. and won. They, won. they had a taking. The city had to pay them uh, for the overlay zone. So uh, you, I think you're correct. If, if the city has to do uh, some zoning, if given the authority to do so, they'd have to compensate them fairly for their land. But that doesn't mean that's already the law prior to the bill passing. Okay. That was already in statute. Well, how does this undo that? Well, what we've completely un- upended how we can annex. Now there has to be a vote before the city. Current law was prior to the bill was the city had a three-year process by which they had to go and tell people, notify them, hey, we're thinking about 
zone, you know, annexing your land, you know, with here, there's going to be public meetings and we're going to do this, this, and this, and there's this, this process. Now we've said, now there has to be a notification and an election. So now when we say like Converse, the city of San Antonio and Converse had a 17 year agreement to do exchanges. Now they can't, they don't know how they're going to move forward because even though they were going to do land swaps, they don't know whether or not the, the vote will be there to annex the land. So they can't have any certainty in terms of their contract and their moving forward because we didn't exempt them in the bill. The, the, the implication, though, is that with annexation comes stricter regulations and means you yeah. do less with your property. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you cross the line from just being responsible and, uh, development and then being a taking. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems that we have in this state, we have no standard on what, co- what is a taking. And I've filed, filed legislation in the past to try to establish a standard, a regulatory standard, so that we could say, okay, if your regulation takes 50% of your property, then it becomes a taking, and the city's got to do something. Uh, but It's an interesting point because many would argue that as soon as your property goes into the city of San Antonio, it would increase in value because mm-hmm. the development uh, uh, path would yeah. be so clear. Yeah, just a, a quick uh, you know, final point. I don't need to move on, but... You know, I, I think at the same time, and, and certainly there's going to be instances where, you know, the, the current system is not working, right? That's with any issue. Um, but, but I think if you look at it as a whole and you look at um, how Texas cities in particular have thrived over the last couple decades, um, you know, we're doing something right. And we're doing something right under the existing law, um, not just with respect to annexation, but land use. Um, when you look at, you know, studies with respect to Austin and San Antonio, Houston and Dallas, compared to other big cities and other states, you know, we are doing something right. And a lot of it is uh, allowing local communities to design and implement laws that best fit those communities, and I think we're going backwards here. That's my concern. That's a point we haven't touched on, but I think it's an underlying theme throughout the Tribune Festival that maybe we'll ask each of you to comment on before we go to the audience and and solicit some questions. But uh, it seems that we live in a state above all others that really would like the federal government off our back, and we have not just one attorney general, but a sequence of attorney generals that have filed lawsuit after lawsuit to try to prevent federal regulation of of everything from our air and water to other things. And yet, at the Capitol, this last session and the special session seemed especially focused on taking local control away from home rural cities, whether it was on the bathroom bill and, and, and public restrooms or rideshare or tree ordinances or annexation. And it just seems to be a contradiction of people saying the people closest to the citizens that, are, that have been elected to represent them no longer have the power. The state is taking that power away from cities. I wonder if any of you would comment on that before we... I'll be happy to comment on that. Go ahead. <laughs> the local control does not mean and does not give local... Uh, municipalities the ability to strip people's liberties mm-hmm. and you got to remember those are my constituents too and I'm representing them at the state level article 11 section 13 is the state specific authority to tell the cities how uh, what is uh, can get how to govern their their citizens this is not some new concept this has been uh, the statutes are full of, of situations where the state has come in and said, you need to do it this way instead of that way. This is, and so this, we keep getting that thrown in our face that we don't want the federal government. But you've got to remember, the states created the federal government and the states created the cities. The cities did not create the states. And the cities are there as a result of a charter 
out of the Constitution of the state of Texas. Our city is older than the state, but that's the Well, it may be. I mean, it is, but. And I think that we've gotten, we need, it's gotten to where we had so much local control, local control, and now there is a whole lot of local control. And the local control has taken away our local liberties. Again, government works for the people. We don't work for government. And whatever we can do that frees up your liberties, that's where we need to focus. Not just that whoever's elected in this city can now go and decide, oh, this is the plan for this city the next 20 years, and we need to go, and you're just automatically going to be part of it, citizen. So, no, like, citizen, let's convince you. I mean, annex, cities can still annex. They can go make their case to the people why they should be annexed. They make their case. The people are smart. They will say yay or nay. I'd hate to have to go convince people that we should all pay a federal income tax. Well, exactly. But my point is if the city feels that their, whatever their plans are, they can make the case, then the people would vote for it. If they can't, they have to go back to the drawing board and find something else. Okay, Senator Menendez? So it almost appears as if we're forgetting about the fact that cities are electing their mayors, their city council members, and they're, and they're electing these officials uh, typically in smaller districts at a closer level, smaller elections than typically our districts are, uh, definitely ours for sure. Uh, so if the, the electorate has elected a mayor and a city council and they've asked to pass, and maybe in many cases, like in San Antonio, where they've gone and have it elections on on purchasing land to to save for parkland for the tree canopy, and they want to have a tree ordinance. I mean, many of our constituents have said, "Why is the state interfering with our local tree ordinance? Where we're happy with what we have." And so, the, that's the issue: is that sometimes that I wonder is why are we creating state mandates that are going to take away? what people at, have decided they want in their city. And that's, that's where there's a disconnect, in my opinion. So I can understand what they're talking about, their individual liberty of the individual, but these individuals have also elected people that have said to them, we want you to take care of the environment. We want clean air and clean water. We don't, you know, whether if you live in Austin and you don't want to have plastic bags, whatever the case may be, why is the state of Texas deciding that it needs to come and manage uh, each individual city or tell the rest of us what to do or not do? And so that's, there's a little bit of a disconnect. I understand that we represent them as well, but our constituents are saying, you know, we've elected this mayor and this city council who collectively have made the decision. They've had an election. They've, had, uh, they've discussed it. Uh, I mean, it's almost as if we decided at the state we're going to have some policy that's going to micromanage what's happening at the state level. If we use that same logic, it would it would it would be, I think, detrimental to our to our future. Yeah, and I and I would sorry, Paul, um, but I would just say too. I think there are examples where um, communities get it right, and I, and I and I would say San Antonio is one of those. Um, as an example, I think there are folks, not anybody here, but I think there are folks in state government who would like to limit uh, the amount of local debt that a uh, community can uh, mm-hmm. take on. 
uh, for infrastructure projects, right? And, and you know this, Bob. I mean, dating, dating back to 2007, every five years, the citizens of our community have voted overwhelmingly uh, for these huge bond referendums for, you know, things like infrastructure, uh, you know, to prevent flooding, for, you know, for highways. So, you know, look, I trust my community. And, and if my community says, hey, we're okay with uh, you guys going out and selling some debt to do this because it's going to accelerate projects, I'm not going to step in as a state government, uh, you know, person and say, you know, that's, that's bad. You're doing things the wrong way. So, you know, I, I think it's working in certain communities. And, and, you know, I think this feeling that it's, you know, now all of a sudden local control is, you know, a, a four-letter word, right? Um, you know, the same goes for school boards. I was on a local school board. Look, I know when I was on the San Antonio ISD many years ago, uh, Board of Education, um, we were very frustrated because things that were coming out of Austin, um, in some cases where unfunded mandates, um, I felt like at that time, you know, we're closest to the ground. We're elected at that time by an even smaller electorate in our single-member district, um, let us make those decisions, right? And so, so that is, I guess, my philosophy. I know not everybody shares that philosophy. Um, certainly it's a partnership, but we do here at the state and, and our local uh, officials. But I, I just have a very, um, you know, I have a feeling uh, in my gut that my local officials are the closest to the ground, um, and those are the ones best informed to make local decisions. Well, and look, and I have a number of small cities uh, in my district, and, and they uh, all operate very well. I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with them about tree ordinance. It turns out the San Antonio tree ordinance is actually a good tree ordinance. And, in fact, in, when I filed my legislation, uh, one session, the city of San Antonio came and, uh, and testified in favor of what I was trying to do. So there are ways to do that. Mm-hmm. But the notion that, you know, that a city council can say, all right, from now on, that tree that's on your property, it doesn't belong to you. And you don't have the right to, to do whatever you want, trim it, cut it down, whatever. I actually had citizens come into my office this session and say, no, that tree doesn't belong to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. It was on the dirt, and I bought the dirt, and that tree belongs to me. And if I decide that it needs to come down to put in a, an add an addition for my mother-in-law, then I should have the right to do that. And this is the liberty part that we keep talking about, is if cities will take care of the streets and the water and the things that they're supposed to take care of, but it's when they get off and start taking my liberties away that the state needs to step in. Well, we have a a microphone on each side here because we are recording this, so let me invite some members of the audience to come up and uh, ask a question. Um, join in. We have a few more minutes, and we'd love to hear from some of you. And if you'd like to direct your uh, question to a specific panelist, please say so. And then we'll start with you. Hi, my name is Kellen Zale. I uh, teach at the University of Houston. I teach state and local government law. We just finished annexation. So this is actually super fascinating, and I have so many questions. Um, fascinating. I, Did you hear that, I everyone? Know. I get really excited about state and local government law, but I'll just ask one. So, um, Houston, obviously, we just had flooding, and, uh, and we had a panel earlier this morning that was mentioning how some of that flooding is coming from upstream communities that are outside of the city of Houston, where development was, there were more lax, nobody thinks that Houston has strict land use regulations, but it does have some, and there were more lax regulations in these communities. And so things like flooding, um, we've just taken away this state law that, that just passed, has taken away one policy tool that the city of Houston, maybe the city of San Antonio had, for controlling what's happening right on its boundary 
the liberties of those people right outside of its boundary, um, their liberties affect what happens to me on my property in Houston, and my liberties are affected by what they did. And we've just taken away one tool that the, the cities had. Um, so what policy tools are remaining for cities? I understand there's special ones for the military for the bases on the borders, but what policy tools are remaining? Because I know that, unlike where I used to live in California, there's very little formal regional government in Texas. So what is left for cities um, for things to control things like flooding, where there's upstream users outside the boundaries uh, that affect what happens to residents of the city? Would someone like to take that? Uh, I'll be happy to. Um, the principle is that you shouldn't be able to do anything on your property that harms your neighbor. I think the Houston flood is an anomaly because we're talking about a thousand-year flood here. And so those properties may have never uh, impacted those lower areas. Uh, and this time, because of what we experienced, they did. Yeah. But regulations should be in place so that you don't harm your neighbor. But within, within your property, you should be able to do uh, what you want. Do you know that in, in Austin area, there are uh, some land use ordinances which restrict people's use of their land down to as little as 5%. So that means if you've got a five-acre tract, you would able to only use 5% of that five-acre tract. So in my mind, that's a taking. So, but... Within that five-acre tract, they should be able to do what they want to do as long as they don't harm their neighbors. Bob, uh, to the lady and the, the issue of the runoff, um, what we found in San Antonio is that, the, that anytime you increase development upstream, you, you increase the speed and the amount of runoff that goes downstream. So one of the things that I'm not sure how City Houston applies this to its neighbors north of them, but they have to come and talk in some sort of negotiations, is that they've got to look into detention, either on-site detention ponds, or they have to look into some expansion of, of their, their floodways. Their, you know, City of San Antonio, through the bond packages, has been very, I think, creative in, in terms of uh, buying more land in order to create uh, a drainage program where we take creeks and we've widened them and we've added, uh, we've added a, a city bikeway and, and runway pathway greenways uh, that are almost going to be interconnected throughout the whole city, but it's helped us with our runoff. And then I, when we got downtown, we created a huge underground tunnel. So a lot of the water comes in at one side and it goes out at the other. So, But it's going to require a, a tremendous amount of investment. Um, I don't think legally there are any tools that the city of Houston could use to force anybody upstream to do anything. Let me ask uh, the two individuals at the microphone to please both pose your questions. We'll take them at once. We're going to run out of time, and I want you both to have the opportunity to, to give your questions. So, sir, you go first, and then okay. we'll follow with you, and then we'll answer. Thanks for sharing this topic. I'm glad I stumbled in here. Um, it strikes me that the annexation debate is a symptom of a bigger problem, and I'd like to ask your reaction to this bigger problem, which is networked infrastructure, roads, electricity, water, emergency services is always a lot cheaper to provide per capita in a dense urban area than in an exurban or rural area. So we're fighting over whether the people who live right on the border should be in this jurisdiction or that jurisdiction. But if you're telling me that San Antonio cannot afford to provide its services if it doesn't annex that tiny sliver on the edge, then they have a big problem, don't they? And if the people on the other side of the border can't afford to pay for those services if San Antonio annexes them and taxes them for it, then they have a problem too. So it seems to me that the, the fundamental problem here is our metropolitan development pattern, not who's paying on which side of the border. And I wonder if that has come into the debate on this topic. 
Okay, and sir, your question, please. Sure. Well, that's a difficult question to follow up. Uh, Senator Campbell, <laughs> I wanted to hear your thoughts on the fact that your legislation kind of undeniably caused cities to act in probably a more reckless manner when it came to annexation before the bill came into effect, and how that opened up cities to probably a, a very expensive uh, legal process. I know in San Antonio, uh, I've seen a couple instances in which the city is going to be very uh, prone to uh, kind of lawsuits against uh, annexation that your bill caused the city to enact in a more rapid manner. And I want to hear the rest of the panel's thoughts as well. Thank you. Okay, why don't we take the second question first, Senator, and that then sounds we'll, good. But we Thank won't forget this gentleman yeah. over here. Thank you for the question. The, the annexation bill should not have allowed, the best I can tell, a city to be more reckless with their annexation. Yes, there are, there's some fast-tracking annexation that the city of San Antonio wants to do. I think they had nine. They initially had planned, cut it back to about five. So that has to be finished by December 1. And, you know, I, I will trust that city of San Antonio will do it correctly. If they don't, though, anyone that, uh, you know, feels violated by how they've annexed will have the right to go to court, loser pays, which is something that the bill did provide. That's right. <clears throat> um, any comment on that second question before we move to the gentleman's larger question about the greater urbanization of Austin and San Antonio are growing together at a breakneck speed? So, Yeah, I, I, I just minute. think it's a shame. It's a shame that we'd have to uh, put ourselves in a position here. And, and I think, I, think you, I can almost combine the two questions. Look, it's not that the city can't afford to provide services. It's whether or not people who live across the street or a highway from the city, I mean on the edge, and, and, and for it not being where they are, that it's almost that they're, and, and to some degree it's like they're not contributing to the overall good of the, of the, of the whole network that you, you described. Um, I think the city of San Antonio has been very judicious and careful in terms of how they look at annexation, and I was very strongly, I, I worded strongly with the city manager's office and some of the city elected officials, I wanted to see annexation to occur both for the positive net impact to the overall city, but also to areas that otherwise would have no garbage pickup, would have no police, no fire, where they were underserved and they were, they were sort of left out in limbo, in between cities. And nobody wanted them because possibly they might be too expensive. And so that's what frustrated me. And really, the last time we had annexation change, it was because Senator Madler was frustrated the city wouldn't annex south and extend city services. And so he got mad at the city and said, okay, fine, I'm going to make it harder for you to annex because all the annexation was going northwards. And so now here we go. We've, we've limited the city once again in how it can annex because of the fact that, oh, my goodness gracious, we don't want to pay that extra few dollars to the city because you were right. They do pay school taxes and hospital and all that. But they're not paying that same collective amount into the property taxes to the city for the parks and the airport and all the other things that once they drive into the city, if they're in the city and there's an accident, SAPD is going to respond or SA Fire or EMS, regardless of whether they have an ESD, an emergency service district for their home, once they're in the city, they're going to be using city services. Senator Menendez raises a great point about uh, what areas are annexed. And I'm, I, I can't speak for San Antonio, but I do know that a number of cities, um, they will annex that nice gated community mm -hmm. and they'll leave the mobile home park on the other <laughs> side of town out. So true. Oh, it is which wrong. is wrong. And, but 
this is part of the narrative is the reason why we are where we are is because of the abuse of the city. They go after the property values right. and leave these others out there in the cold. And so that, so the point about density, I'll go ahead and, and say density is a, great, is a great point. So you take, the, obviously, the more dense you are, then the less it costs to provide services. And so as a city expands, that reduces the density, which naturally raises the price on pr- creating those services, whatever they are. And so... That's why property taxes continue to go up, and I think that it is a point that some cities ought to say, you know what, we're just fine, we're dense, we got everything under control. If we add territory, it's going to cost us more, and so we need to leave them alone. I want to make that the last word. All right. Well, yeah. he had a question that would probably be a whole other panel, right, about yeah. urbanism. I mean, great question, but I, I, uh, We've run I out respect the clock, the, the clock and, and uh, appreciate your time. Yeah. Senate, uh, Senator Campbell, thanks for coming up from yes. New Braunfels, and, and thanks for having us, Representative uh, Workman, in your town, and my fellow San Antonians, Senator Menendez and um, Representative Rodriguez. It's a Saturday. You all came away from your families. Thank you so much. Please join me in thanking him, and thank you, audience members. Thank you.